I think we need to bring agencies together and say, look, we have a problem and we all have the same problem. And you might have different ideas on the approach, but at the end of the day, these are people. And so we have to figure it out. Welcome to Crossroads, the Shelters of Saratoga podcast, giving a voice to the many different challenges of homelessness in our community. Throughout our podcast series, we'll be shining a light on the perception versus the reality of homelessness in the greater Saratoga community. The issues we'll be talking about are more than a bed or a cot or a roof. The reality is that homelessness is an intricate ecosystem, including mental and physical health, public safety, food security, resource navigation, community engagement, and longer-term sustainable housing solutions. However, perhaps most important is recognizing that the majority of the challenges of the homeless in our community are invisible. We are at a crossroads where the challenges of homelessness intersect. Welcome to Crossroads, the Shelters of Saratoga podcast. I'm Dwayne Vaughn, Executive Director of Shelters of Saratoga. This is an exciting episode. We'll be talking about the 30-year history of how Saratoga has tackled the challenges of homelessness and how it all started, where we are today, what has changed and what has not. The one constant, with all the effort and good intentions, 30 years later, we're still fighting an uphill battle to help some of the most vulnerable people in our community. In today's conversation at uh, Crossroads, we have Lisa Mitson, co-founder of uh, Business for Good Foundation. Uh, Lisa is also an SOS, a Shelter Saratoga board member, uh, a business leader and philanthropist. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. And we have uh, Ed Mitson, who is also the co-founder of Business for Good Foundation. He's an author, entrepreneur, and a philanthropist. Welcome, Ed. Thank you. And Tony Mangano, who is a former board member of Shelters of Saratoga. And uh, Tony was instrumental in the founding of SOS and Code Blue. I kind of want to start out to see where the um, the landscape has shifted over time. And, and so if we can go back, you know, 30 years ago, and maybe, Tony, you could tell mm-hmm. me, uh, what things were like in regards to homelessness in uh, in, in Saratoga? Well, uh, it probably started, yeah, it's about 30 years ago, and the uh, initiated by the uh, city, uh, the mayor and the uh, uh, head of the commissioner Department of Public Works uh, called a public uh, forum to uh, discuss the homeless situation in Saratoga. Uh, at that point, there were probably only about nine or ten actual street homeless, uh, visible homeless in, in, in town. And um, one fellow who we probably have all recognized over time was the uh, fellow who used to push his cart around town all the time, loaded up. And uh, he was sort of the uh, uh, initial homeless person in, in the city. Um, but I think the uh, what motivated it for the city was uh, um, they were beco- uh, this small group was becoming more visible, and I think they really wanted to uh, kind of uh, clean up the street, so to speak. So, do you feel like back then, even though there was a, a small group of homelessness that um, that uh, was appearing in the city, that uh, that there was a lot of investment by the community? Um, I wouldn't say a lot uh, because, again, it, what the, the uh, problem wasn't that broad. Um, but uh, the city actually had the biggest investment, I think, in, in initiating mm-hmm. that. Now, maybe some of the local business people were were um, behind it. Uh, although, again, I think back then, I don't think we. I think broad, Broadway was just beginning to emerge into what it is now. Um, but uh, the, uh, as I say, I think it mostly fell on, on the city. And, and uh, um, so they called a, a small a meeting, and there was a small group. Um, and the uh, city provided a trailer uh, for, uh, it was on the top of Congress Street, on one of the city properties, for the first um, uh, drop-in um, uh, uh, beds for, for, the, uh, for the homeless. And it was totally volunteer. I remember volunteering then. And uh, um, there was no, I mean, people could just, police would drop somebody off. People could come in. There was no uh, screening. There was no interviewing. It was just pretty much wide, wide open. Do you think that back then that um, 
whether it was city politics or the community or even some of the volunteers thought that this was going to be an, an ongoing and as serious as an issue as it is today? Um, no, I, didn't, I don't think any of us could have predicted the, uh, uh, the growth of, of this problem. And uh, um, so I, I think, uh, again, I think the, the, where the city had hoped for was just to get some kind of permanent housing, actually, for these folks. Not necessarily a program, just to kind of get them a place to stay off the, off the streets. Um, what evolved from that was as, as people got, became a little bit more savvy uh, and understanding of the problem uh, was the development of a program rather than just beds. And so there was a, uh, that's when there was some conflict at, at that time between the city and uh, the emerging uh, board for the, for the shelter because there were, <clears throat> excuse me, two different Two different goals, basically. Uh, two different philosophies that yeah, were kind of around exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. Well, I mean, and as we look at the, the issues today, um, you know, here we are 30 years later and the numbers have grown so greatly. Uh, I think uh, we were looking at our November numbers at Code Blue and uh, Code Blue, between Code Blue and the other uh, low barrier shelter that's in town, that our numbers have more than doubled at the same time. Uh, mm -hmm. is this last year so this obviously and now we're talking you know numbers in low barrier shelter or code blue in the hundred range uh, now and not to mention that the amount of people that are in structured shelter programs um, throughout the county so if we if we were to take a step into today you know 30 years later um, I'd like to either Ed or Lisa you feel free to chime in of what you think now is the community sentiment around around homelessness? Well, I think I don't know. My feeling is is that it doesn't sound like it's changed all that much um, in 30 years. There's still a divide, and I think the approach to homelessness. Um, I think there are you know that idea of of we see it, and no one really knows what the right answer is. But there's the belief that uh, it seems housing will fix homelessness, whereas the other side, if you will, not to put it on sides, but is that you need programming to to tackle the situation. And so I think it sounds like from what Tony's describing 30 years ago, there was a little bit of that, you know, same struggle with 10 people. And now the problem is 10 times worse. Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of, uh, unfortunately, I think where it sits. You know, today, um, local politics, we see how, um, well, uh, recently over the summer or spring, we had a homelessness task force that was put together, right? And there was certain players at the table. And uh, could you give me an idea what you, what you think about that approach? I mean, I think that, you know, you've got to bring a lot of great minds together to solve the issue because it's not unique to Saratoga Springs, right? This problem is, is countrywide. Um, however, I feel like a great approach is to bring the agencies together, the people that are hands-on working with the individuals and experiencing um, solution-oriented uh, approaches would be more beneficial than bringing some people like myself as a business person into a room. I don't work hands-on with these folks. I think the, the agencies that are involved doing the hands-on work probably have the best ideas. So I think I would probably create a task force that was more inclusive of all of those agencies. Mm -hmm. So um, community support and investment now I mean, I personally see um, kind of a divided, and, and I want to touch into the topic of NIMBYism, right? Because that mm -hmm. seems to be a big issue, and it's not just a Saratoga issue. That, too, is a, an issue around the country. Um, in my opinion, I think when somebody says, uh, not in my backyard, but they don't come with a solution, what they're saying is not in anybody's backyard. Would, would you agree with that, Ed? Yeah, I mean, we when Lisa and I made the pledge in 2017 to build a permanent shelter i don't think we ever imagined that we would be sued and um there would be all these you know people would be up in arms um neighbors uh unionizing essentially to make sure the project didn't go forward um and what's frustrating to me is is i 
I see a, I travel a lot around the country, and I also am in Albany and Schenectady quite a bit. And I see down there, like I was at the uh, Trinity Alliance yesterday. I was at City Mission in Schenectady two weeks ago. And there's much more um, cooperation amongst a lot of different parties to help address the problems. Um, you look at the, the Trinity Alliance, they've got a shelter, but they've got um, a food pantry, they've got um, child aftercare, they've got domestic violence treatment people, they've got substance abuse folks that, because what they find, what they find, and I'm sure you see it too, Dwayne, is people come in with, you know, for one issue, but they've got three or four others that are, that are at the root cause of their challenges. And I don't see that level of cooperation necessarily in Saratoga, and I don't know if it's a, if it's a, um, I hate to say it, but almost a race thing. In that, in Albany, I think the community recognizes that they all have to pull together. Everybody's important. They have to help everyone, um, even if they don't have a lot themselves. They're the first people to give a kid a meal, buy a kid a coat, give somebody a place to stay. And I just don't see that level of uh, compassion and cooperation up here. It, it's, it's, you know, lawyers get involved and, and um, you know, there's polit- politics that gets involved and it's, it's disheartening. So if we go back on the path of even trying to build that, that permanent co-blue location, um, we, we go back to, I think you said 2017, and that was when the attempt was made to make it next to the Walworth shelters, correct? Correct. And uh, it was basically going next to an existing shelter uh, that butted up against the Allardyce Lumberyard. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we thought that it was the perfect location. Obviously, um, neighbors disagreed. Um they they sued under a zoning ordinance because that area wasn't zoned for a homeless shelter. And what we learned during the process is there's no place in Saratoga County that's that's zoned for a homeless shelter, I think other than maybe one little stretch of Broadway. So um, we filed the paperwork under a rooming house um, designation because we thought that that was the closest we could find. And the judge sided with the, uh, with the neighbors and... Um, that you know, was, we wasted about a year and a half, and you know, fast forward to today, and we're still not there. Right. right. One, you know. one thing about that, it was uh, the city did support it. Yeah. I mean, it passed yeah. the city council. Yep. Uh, it was unanimous. Zoning board, planning mm-hmm. board. Yep. yep. The whole, it was the uh, appeal. Of yeah. It. And I remember the the, <clears throat> the most heartbreaking thing for me, and I think Lisa shares this too, is we would go into these public forums at city hall. And we had gotten at this point to know many of the homeless people mm-hmm. um, by serving them meals, being there on Christmas Eve, and just seeing them around town. And many of them were in attendance at the uh, at the public hearing. And I remember neighbors standing up and complaining that they're dirty, they're drug addicts, they're rapists, all this kind of stuff. And th- meanwhile, they were in the room. And I don't right. think the people knew that they were in the room. Um, and it was just heartbreaking yeah. to see that level of um, just yeah, hostility, uh, yeah, and just and just ignorance. Like they didn't they didn't know. And uh, I remember one guy standing up and complaining that the homeless people were sleeping on his porch, and uh, you know he can't have it. And all I remember thinking was, well, wouldn't it be great if he had a place to go? Right. You well, know, there was, there was another guy at the meeting who uh, said somebody <clears throat> stole his canoe. And was sort of blaming the uh, right. homeless for a right. canoe. I mean, it was sort of at that level. But I mean, to take it back, <clears throat> excuse me. Again, uh, thirty years there was resistance, but it was mostly f- in terms of location in the West Side because there was a group that was, fe- was feeling that the West Side was becoming sort of the right. Uh, right. dumping ground yep. for all the uh, yeah and. Uh, for all the uh, not-for-profit agencies and, and all that, but it wasn't the kind of hostility and negativism that we were ex- experiencing in the past six years. Yeah, it was, it was you know, well, you'd never consider putting this on the east side. Right. And that's not true. We looked at a lot of different locations and found that that was the most logical given the surrounding services that were at that location. I think that was a big driving factor. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it was up against the lumber, uh, the lumber yard and, and Wally right. Allardyce supported it. And yep. so we thought we were home free. Um, 
Well, and I think, too, that it goes back to, you know, you, you mentioned the people that were in attendance and the neighbors would stand up, you know, they smell bad and all the all the things. And I think it goes back to that st- stereotyping, right? You you close your eyes and you picture what a homeless individual looks like, and we all think of the gentleman pushing the cart with all of mm-hmm. his belongings, where, you know, the reality is you walk up and down Broadway and you are passing by numerous people right. that are struggling with homelessness. You just don't realize it. Sure. And I think, you know, when I say you, I'm excluding the people at this, you know, conversation, <laughs> obviously, but I know, you know, when the Code Blue Shelter first opened and Ed and I decided to volunteer for a kitchen shift to um, sort of see firsthand what this is all about. And I remember that morning we were driving there, not really knowing what to expect. And Ed said to me, it's it's Saratoga. There's probably going to be 10, 12 people there. And we were shocked. And this was actually when it was in the Salvation Army location. We were shocked. There were like 50 people on cots and no food. Mm -hmm. So Ed ran over to the price chopper uh, and filled up a couple of cartloads, and we started making breakfast. And we were like, wow, this is a far bigger challenge than we had ever realized. But we also realized there were different categories of people that were facing this struggle and that they don't all look alike. And they're people. And being, being in, in advertising, um, you know, you tend to segment people, right? And look right. at different, different slices of who's in there. And, and from what I could tell, a third, you know, had some mental illness. Clearly, they they needed some mental assistance. You had um, probably twenty to thirty percent, probably substance abuse, something like that. And then I would say a good chunk, more than a third, just had some really bad breaks. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't that they, um, you know, that 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 they there was some underlying condition. They might have had a bad divorce. They might have had substance issues and now clean themselves up. And I remember thinking when I was meeting some of these folks, you know, graduates of Shenandoah High School, they had jobs, they'd take the bus to work, they just couldn't afford a place to stay. And they probably had burned all their bridges with family and friends in the past so that no one would give them a couch in the in the rec room. And um, I remember thinking back to all the stupid stuff I've done in my life. And, you know, I, I I know I can say confidently that I've driven when I probably shouldn't have. And by the grace of God, I didn't kill anybody and go to jail and get addicted to painkillers and then come out and be unemployable. And I've always felt that there's a really fine line between super successful people and those that are in a shelter. And uh, I think that's in this community, I think that's lost. I don't think people realize that. I think there's a sense that these people are lazy. They're drug addicts. They don't care. Um, why should I help them if you know they're not going to help themselves? There's plenty of jobs out there. They could go work, and they just don't have an understanding of the struggles that these people are going through. Sure, and it's you know we'll probably go back to more of the location thing because we've we've done so much work on that over the past couple of years. But you bring up an ex- interesting point. When I was over at Code Blue the other night and. I was doing some repairs on on one of the rooms, and there's uh, three gentlemen that are roomed together, and they're all previously in the service. Mm-hmm. Right. So we had uh, two Army guys and one Navy guy, and probably some of the best conversations I have had with uh, with anybody uh, over the past few months have been with these three gentlemen. And none of these guys have uh, substance abuse issues. And none of these guys have um, – they don't drink. You yeah. know, They don't have alcohol in the rooms, anything like that. They're just – down on their luck, yeah. You know, and, and I think we're seeing a lot of those same type of um, fractional numbers right. as as you saw back then. I think we're still in. in Tony, you're still there uh, quite a bit, right? When yeah. you say the same? Yes, I would. Uh, I think that what impressed me is the number of uh, <clears throat> excuse me, senior and elderly uh, homeless people that we're, we're encountering and taking in at Code Blue. It, mm-hmm. That that seems to have increased. Yeah, we've got uh, multiple people that are in their 70s and 80s yeah. wow. at Code Blue this year. Yeah. Is, and that's something that I, uh, in my past career, I, I focused more on homeless youth. Um, so that was kind of a shocker to me. And, you know, and I reflect back on, uh, I think it was two years ago, we had uh, a, a senior citizen, 77-year-old man who was a, a, um, a veteran. And he passed away during the winter. And... Um, we they had his funeral services and at the funeral services there were four people 
and here he's a veteran, a senior mm-hmm. citizen, and three of the four people were staff members of SOS. And I thought to myself, how tragic is yeah. this? Wow. Is that these this person's, you know, in one way, I'm, I'm grateful that at least he had the company of other people that were a code blue and he wasn't out by himself. And then he did have, you know, staff support there. Um, and we were, you know, unfortunately had to go to his funeral. But to me, that just seemed mind blowing to me. Like I couldn't, I couldn't conceptualize how we could have a senior citizen and a veteran right. on the street, <clears throat> yep. dying on the street, homeless. Right. So I wanted to touch back on the different locations, and this has been, you know, something we're still thinking about. We know that we're not going to stay at the the current location because we've already outgrown this location. So we've, uh, of all the places that uh, if we go back, it's been, what, nine, ten years now? Uh, Ten years, yeah. Yeah, ten years that we've had Code Blue. Mm -hmm. It started out where? St. Peter's. St. Peter's, yep. Mm -hmm. Yep, and then it went to? Salvation Army. Uh huh. Then Soul Saving Station on Henry Street. All oh, right. Um. Then there was a. That, where did it go after that? Did it go to Adelphi Street after that? It might well, have. So there, it was. There was a. Uh, was there something in between? Well, in, they were out at the county. Uh, oh, out at the jail, jail behind the behind the yeah, jail and the that animal was, uh, shelter. While they were getting Adelphi ready. Yes. <clears throat> they spent some time in the. Uh, Senior Citizen Center. Oh, this during COVID. <laughs> yep. Um, there was a again during COVID a, a group that stayed at the Holiday Inn. Mm-hmm. That was kind of kind of a hybrid between a uh, Code Blue bed situation and a program because um, there were more rules and all. There was an overflow at the New England First Presbyterian Church. The they've there they've done overflow that. there. But I think. Yeah, and then so, yeah. Adelphi, right? We've and then the Adelphi, Adelphi Street. Yeah. Then where we are now but it seemed like for several i mean there's always been a committee formed to find to find the place for yes mm-hmm. and we need to ongoing, form another committee ongoing issue. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are you know countless locations later still not having that permanent location probably not going to be able to find that location that is most suitable and closest to where people are right so we're unable to bring the services to where people are at right which is critically important when it comes to human Mm -hmm. services so we're starting to venture out we've we've approached a few surrounding communities outside of saratoga we've been shut down um in two different directions now we're going to head in another direction and see where that goes we've got a meeting coming up that uh, hopefully we'll have some good news but um isn't isn't that the county's job to figure that like how does that i mean the, the mandate is to the county in terms of the uh um the governor's directive at the time to to provide a uh a code blue type of um housing I mean, but it, it just seems inefficient while you're trying to right. run a shelter to be yeah. hunting around for real estate and things like that when it's the county's responsibility to provide it yeah well i think the one part is, is that it's it's the county's responsibility to have a plan and are they the best at providing a code blue shelter or is it an agency? I, that's the big question, a million dollar question. Um, they've contracted with us for you know quite a few years now. I think we're the only agency that's actually run code blue. Right. And, and the problem that I think that we face at uh, Shelter Saratoga is that we're always having to fit something into where it really doesn't right. belong. And I don't mean the area, I mean the building. Yep. Right, right. You know, we're being forced to, you know, because we can't find anything else, to find something that will just be, will hold the capacity. Right. And and to be able to plan for five times the volume in five years, potentially, right. based on how things are going around the country. Well, and you have to be close to the, the bus lines. I mean, several of the individuals work and or need to be able to access their services. And so it can't, it's not like the whole idea of let's just find a building out in the middle of nowhere and put everyone in it. That doesn't solve the problem and it doesn't. That was, that was one of the suggestions that was made when we were being sued back in 2017 was let's put it out, I can't remember where, Schuylerville or, and then bust them into mm-hmm. the city. And, and you know, I was thinking, well, what are you going to do the first time somebody misses the bus and freezes on the sidewalk? Right. You know. Um, well, and not to mention that the, there's that doesn't allow access to services, which is, you know, you ultimately hope that some of the individuals that are at Code Blue are going to be able to move over to the regular shelter where they can get services and work towards 
being housed. So Code Blue is really aligning with the other the identical services that are needed above Code Blue, like whether it's more structured shelter or if it's permanent supportive housing. It's got to be someplace where it could be accessible, where people can get to it, people can get to the other services they need, and that's the ongoing struggle that we're going to continue to run into over and over until a community finally says, listen, we, we've all had enough. Here's your spot. Or let's, we, we've got, we've got to say, all right, I, maybe I said not in my backyard before, but now I'm saying that we've got to come together. It, it doesn't mean not in anybody's backyard. Yeah. That's what the point that we've got to get to. So um, how do you, and anybody can chime in here today. I think that um, one thing that I see in the past and the recent past is that the concern has been more about um, what's visually happening in the community, right? Um, well, there's homeless, we want to take care of them, but can you just do it where we can't see it? Mm-hmm. Is, would you be in agreement to that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I think some of their concerns are valid. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm in San Francisco all the time, and you drive through that city now, and it's like one encampment after another. Mm-hmm people shooting up right on the streets. Um, you wouldn't want to put a business down there. They're all leaving. So I, I do understand that point sure. of view. Um, well, and a lot of the things that come along with it, like, for example, panhandling is economics, right, which we've right. talked about, right? So, um, you know, I was asked once, well, why is this person panhandling on my corner? Well, why is your, and I didn't mean it to be you know, uh, insensitive, but I said, well, why is your business there? It's because it's a great location. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, an economically sound place to have my business. Well, that's probably going to be an economically sound place for somebody to panhandle. I don't think you're going to find somebody panhandling at a four corners right. in right. Greenfield. Yeah. Um, I mean, or, and that, that is one of the big changes I've seen over the years in, in, in Saratoga is the, the panhandling and a number yeah. of, of, uh, of folks doing that um but I, you know i uh i was thinking you you re- really can have different reasons and come to a good goal yeah and uh so maybe you know so if it's if for some folks just want to get these people out, out of the, off the streets out of the garage whatever and we want to get them into a situation where they can get programming if we can come up if we can come together mm-hmm. even our you know motivation might be different um, yeah, and there yeah. are there are a lot of yep. really good people Absolutely. in this community that that are trying like hell to yep. to do what they think is right, right? And uh, you know, everybody's got different opinions. To your point, and I, I think everybody at the end of the day is good and wants to try to help these people, despite having other motives as well. Yep. I agree with that. So you had talked, Elisa. I think you had talked about. Or maybe it was, I'm sorry, it might have been Tony, but said that, you know, you got to know a few people, you know, at Code Blue years ago. Um, do you have any um, situations where you um, remember building a, a relationship with somebody or having conversations with or, or maybe that you still do that was at Code Blue? I remember one gentleman in particular, and we were serving breakfast. and the engineer? Yeah, you see, you steal my, he took my punchline. I want that noted somewhere. So um, I was, you know, serving breakfast and I was trying to put together like breakfast sandwiches and uh, this gentleman was watching me struggle and he said, you know, if you put the sausage on first and then the scrambled eggs, it'll sit nicer on the roll. And then I said, oh, that's a good idea. And he said, "Um, well, once an engineer, always an engineer. And I remember thinking to myself, wow. He worked at GE, I think. Yeah, he worked at GE. And he's still around. Uh, I see him out and about occasionally. Um, But I think it's just, you know, it's hard when you bring up and you talk about, like, all the different individuals. And I see so many of them still in the area. And watching the numbers grow, we've been over to the new Code Blue, where it is this year. And there's so many individuals that we don't recognize that I've not seen before. And so I feel like we're getting a lot of visitors from other counties. Uh, we are. Yeah. Hmm. So, you know, and, and we, we kind of go back and forth of why is that, 
right? So we, we know there's there's an increase in homeless populations, right? That's that's just a given. We know that we're going to have it. You know, we've had increases every year. The point in time count has shown that. Um, you know, just generally looking at the news will tell you that that's happening. And then you know, we wonder. You know, with the with the start of a year round twenty four seven three sixty five shelter, does that is that attractive to people outside of the community? Um, or could people have looked at our current model being hotel rooms, people thinking, oh, if I go up to Saratoga, will I have my own room for the whole season or something? Could that could that be the case? Which, by the way, it's not. You know, we're, we're putting three people uh, per room. They're small rooms, but we're, we're trying to make things comfortable for people. So, um, yes, to your point, we're, we're definitely seeing people from outside the county. Well, and also there's, I mean, Code Blue, the program, the way it's designed, and it's my understanding that we don't actually have to provide meals. You have to provide shelter when the temperature dips below 32 degrees or there's more than 12 inches of snow. Correct. But we provide meals, right? Mm -hmm. And most of the Code Blues, I think, do in other counties. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think a majority of them, I think, do. Right. Now, I was just on the phone with um, with Warren County Social Services that they had a few questions about Code Blue for me, and um, that's in that budget there, too, but it's not in every one. And the budgets vary from county to county, and right. this year things have even changed more where each county's given an allocation, and you got to make your budget fit that allocation, which has been difficult. Mm -hmm. um, we're very lucky. I think we've had a really wonderful uh and cooperative uh, relationship with with Saratoga County, but the budget was four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So we submitted what we feel that we're gonna, and we have a pretty good grasp on it after running it for multiple years. How much it's going to cost, especially with the, you know, having to change up our locations, and some locations will cost more than others, like this one currently does, and. Um, they we almost exceeded the total budget and the counties also need some part of that leftover budget to put people in motels if they're not appropriate for a facility or something like that so and and oddly enough the budgets vary significantly from county to county and i think onondaga county which is where syracuse, syracuse. is is his budget is something under ten thousand dollars and because they have a lot of other shelters, so they have places for people to go. Um, we have counties up north that are very rural that are actually double what our budget is, which is, you know, mind-blowing. I'm like, wow, you're spending nearly a million dollars on Code Blue. Um, so that's always an adjustment that we have to make. And, and I think that the county works really well with, with Chelsea Saratoga and make sure that they can accommodate us and the people that we serve as best they can. So um, I think that has definitely improved since you've <clears throat> become the uh, the uh, director. And over time, it seems to go back and forth. Either we have a good relationship with the city and not so good with the county and vice versa and uh, and sometimes get caught up in that, the politics of the county and, and city. The forest for the trees yeah, or yeah. whatever. And I think there's so much confusion surrounding the different terminology, right? What is a low barrier shelter? And I feel like there's a lot of people in this community that don't understand the definition of a low barrier shelter, an emergency shelter. You hear a lot of the different terms, right? And I think that that's important to clarify to get everyone on the same page. Um, at least some of the individuals that I spoke to in the recent months didn't really understand what is a low barrier shelter and what does that mean? And, um, you know, there's that whole, if you build it, they will come, right? So there's a concern in, in my eyes, seeing the great work that Shelters of Saratoga does, that if we have a 24-7, 365-day shelter, that we will be inviting more and more from other counties to come here. Mm -hmm. And that was an issue, right? One of the issues at the beginning of, of the shelters at Saratoga was just that, that we'll <clears throat> start, people will start coming in, that uh, build it and they will come. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> and that even, even though the city uh, sort of initiated it all, then they started to backtrack a little bit because they were, were concerned that we'd 
as a program developed that we would be getting more and more mm-hmm. homeless folks into. From well, and is it true too that being a certified shelter, you can you have access to more state and federal funding, whereas if you're not a certified shelter, then more of that onus falls on the community to support it. So I think from a from a financial responsibility part of all of this we have to be cautious in what that solution looks like as far as the the strain that that could be on the community and on the the city sure and on the other hand too uh, and you're exactly right lisa on the other hand too is that if you if you do not receive state or federal funding you really don't have to follow any structure or any rules or any guidelines or um like for example, shelters of Saratoga and our Code Blue are monitored by the state. Right. Um, we we have to abide by certain rules and guidelines, and and there's a lot of paperwork involved for sure um, when you become a certified shelter. And now in New York State, all structured shelters, non-Code Blue shelters, have to be certified to the state if they receive any funding whatsoever that's federal or state. So it's um, and that it really has happened over the last couple of years. We're going to take a short break and be back in about a minute. Hi, and thanks for listening. I'm Stephanie Romeo, the Associate Executive Director at Shelters of Saratoga. I invite all our listeners to find out more about everything we do at Shelters of Saratoga. Our work involves so much more than just the shelter we provide throughout the year. Along with our emergency and supported housing efforts, we run Co Blue during the winter. We also provide health and medical resource navigation. We offer work and life skill guidance for our guests. Maybe just as important, our guests know that we truly care. I'm so proud of all of the good work our team provides every day of the year. Find out more at sheltersofsaratoga.org, and thank you for all your support. We're back, and thanks for listening. Continuing our conversation with Lisa and Ed Mitson and Tony Mangano, we'll be talking about ideas that work in other communities and what we can learn. I want to mention Ed's latest book, Wealthy and White, Ed's unflinching look at the responsibility of wealthy to use their good fortune to do good. It's a great read. So going to, Ed, you've spent some time in other communities. Have you seen uh, some best practices, anything? I know you touched on a little bit, yeah, things that have impressed you. The city mission in Schenectady, I don't know if you're f- familiar with Oh, Mike Sakosha. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, We're back. they have basically, a, for lack of a better word, a compound. Mm-hmm. And they've got... Um, uh, female with children apartments. They've got apartments for men, um, shelter for males only. They've got um, the whole campus is surrounded by affordable apartments so that they can transition these people from the shelter to the apartments. Um, they've got a beautiful cafeteria. So and they serve meals there. I think they get lunch and dinner. And it's, it looks like something you'd see in a ski lodge. I mean, it's really, really nice. Um, and then they've got all these surrounding, you know, they got places for the children to play. They've got, um, there's a little library there. They've got uh, access to different um, caseworkers and things like that. And, and from what I can tell in talking to Michael, that um, the community is completely behind them. Mm-hmm. Like they, uh, they, get, they don't collect any money from the state. Um, I think because they don't want to be regulated. They mm-hmm. want to be able to do things their way. And uh, from what I can tell, it's a really, really cool model. And, sure. And uh, I was impressed that right in the middle of downtown Schenectady is this this oasis, if you will. Like you drive by this thing and never know that it was a it, – it looks, it looks like a senior citizen's home or something like that. Like it's really nice. Well, I think they've also rehabbed – you know, a, a lot of those buildings yep. around there to make them permanent housing or permanent supportive housing. So they've actually made the community look nicer right. in the process. Um, I even think they have a little park. Yeah, they um, do. There's, an, there's like a quad, like a, like, a, like a grass area where the kids can play in between the buildings, mm-hmm. um, like a grass foyer, if you will. It's really cool. Now, do they offer a low barrier uh, housing as well? Yes, yeah. So one of the things that... Um, that Michael does down at Schenectady Mission is they have a program called the Ambassador Program that works with Proctors. Right. And it's been very successful for them. And we're just getting into, they came up and said, hey, Dwayne, how about go connect with UPH and and try to do that same thing? So we are in the process of of hiring um, some of the folks that are in the shelter to be part of the the Ambassador Program at, at UPH. So far, we've got three people that have 
that have uh, signed up. They'll be employees of Shelters of Saratoga. Um, we do have a small grant amount. I think it's about $5,000 that we're able to, um, to, to use to pay those uh, folks to do that job. And, and maybe you can enlighten me and tell me what your opinions are, any of you on this, is that one of the concerns I had is that being that, that Saratoga is a smaller community than, than the greater capital region, um, one of my concerns was is that will will our folks that are uh, going to be working at UPH do you think that they would be labeled? I don't think so. I, I think that program's great. Yeah. I think it's a great opportunity for them to have a sense of purpose and to feel more of a part of the community than to be labeled or um, I, I don't know. I think it's a nice opportunity for those individuals. Um, I agree, and I think it, it gives a, another perception right. of the homeless versus the handful of folks, right. 10 or 20, whatever it is, or, who had been hanging out and kind of panhandling and all that, and mm -hmm. provides a really good contrast. Because those individuals are not being you know, plucked out of the low barrier shelter for that opportunity. They're people that are working on a path towards... Yeah you know getting back on their feet working you know on that on themselves so i think it's i think it's a great chance for them to take that a step farther lisa and i are working um with the bfg staff in hattie's downtown albany to hire folks that were recently out of incarceration and they they're homeless for the most part um, there's four apartments in the downtown hattie's um on madison avenue in albany so we're able to provide them housing and, and then pay them a decent wage to work in the restaurant and get the, you know, just to help them. Yep. It's just an awareness that sometimes people need a little bit of yep. an extra boost. They need an opportunity that, right. that might not be given. And to them. not everyone's gonna work out, we know that. Yeah, but we do. But you know, you take some swings. Right. Right. Yeah. I thought a couple of years ago, a few years ago, um, we were looking at that ambassador mm -hmm. program, where we? And that was even beyond like UPH, what kind of, on the streets and sort of like I'm a local can I help you type of uh, yeah. representative yeah I think uh, COVID was the big killer when right. it came to yeah. that program um, it looked like it was um, had some traction uh, by my predecessor and and that uh, COVID came and hit and dissolved that pretty quick mm. um, so yeah we're, we're making an effort now to try to get that launched back up hopefully the end of this month or maybe even as early as January. And, and UPH is such a great venue. You know, it's, it's a, yep. it's a yeah, place it's that people are going to frequent. It's a, it's a great opportunity, I think, for, for anybody. We, we talked about panhandling earlier. And if somebody in Saratoga, which panhandling can be quite lucrative sometimes, somebody could make 150 200 or more dollars a day, do you think it's an obstacle, Ed, for somebody to take those those hourly jobs that may pay, you know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen bucks an hour? Yeah, I think I think it's a fair, definitely a fair point. Um, the jobs that have to be available, and we see this a lot in the work that we're doing in downtown Albany, has to be the the pay scale has to be enough that it it um, takes into account all the subsidies whether or not it's panhandling or Section 8 housing or food stamps or child care tax credits, that, that it gets them beyond that threshold and, and gives them a sense of respect, dignity, and, uh, and a decent wage. Like we like to talk about, we want to give people good paying jobs, not livable wages. Because mm -hmm. livable wages, you know, what does that mean? Um, and, uh, well, and also health insurance. Yeah, you know, and you're health not going to have health insurance if you're panhandling. And yeah. and housing. And I I got to think that most people would much rather not panhandle. I would agree. I, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I I think that they do it out of a sense of it's got to be embarrassing as hell. Um, it's got to be really really uncomfortable in bad weather, and. Um, you know, I think that you just have to show people that there's a, there's an, there's another way, and that and that we give a crap and are willing to take some risks with them to help them get out of their situation. But you're, you're you know, I think you're always going to have somebody yeah, that's going to say gonna it's not for me. I'm, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to stand out here and uh, do the. They're best independent. They don't maybe don't want to take orders. From yeah, I don't have to pay taxes. Yeah. Yep. So you're not going to be 100. percent Yeah, I don't have to pay child support if I'm doing this because it's not. You can't track it. I mean, there's a lot of things working against you, right? So, so in a in a perfect world, if if we had uh, 
in, in Saratoga, what do you think that we need? Do you think that we need to become a program like Mike Sakosha's that's connected emission? Um, do you think that could ever be viable in our community? I'm not on your board, so I'm probably the least knowledgeable person on this, but I would say that there's got to be a, a, a collaboration, strong collaboration effort with all the different nonprofits in the community that all work together. And it seems to me as an outsider, somewhat very fragmented. Um, and everybody's heart's in the right spot, but they're not, they don't appear to be working together. Um, I think to piggyback on that, I would say that I agree, which I rarely agree with him. So <laughs> I agree that the agencies need to come together. They need to work in collaboration. And I think that unfortunately, I'm just going to say the thing, but um, unfortunately, I think there have been some other agendas, and which is too bad because that doesn't do any good to serve the people here that we really need to serve. So I think we need to bring agencies together and say, look, we have a problem and we all have the same problem. And you might have different ideas on the approach, but at the end of the day, these are people. And so we have to figure it out. I mean, I, I remember, Duane, when you first came to Shelters of Saratoga, you said that your goal would be to put yourself out of a job, right? Which would be amazing, right? If you could just fix homelessness, but we're not going to fix it. And we're certainly not going to fix it the way that it's going right now. So I think we have to come together and find a solution that doesn't include anybody else's agendas, that only focuses on the people struggling, and that falls somewhere between um, a 24-7 low barrier, 365-day-a-year shelter, and, um, you know, perhaps having the shelters be you know, regu heavily regulated and everybody have to be vetted before they walk through the door. We have to find a solution somewhere in the middle of all that. Yeah, I, th I think over the past few years, what I've seen, and I, I talked about this in a previous podcast, is that you know, 20 some years ago when I wrote my first grant in regards to homelessness funding, is that you, especially if it was a federal grant, you had to put in there uh, a ten your 10 year plan to end homelessness. So I was naive enough to think 21, 22 years ago that when we had that plan in there that it was actually going to happen, that I would actually be looking for a different job in, in 10 years. And instead, what I've seen, I've seen the populations explode virtually. But don't uh, you think that. that all goes into what's just happening on a broader spectrum? I sure. mean, Ed and I talk about this all the time with Business for Good, and that is the, the vast difference between the haves and the have-nots. And I think that we need to figure out a short-term solution, which is how do we house everyone? How do we keep everyone safe? How do we feed them? And then the long-term situation of how do we close the income gap, get people up the income curve, and uh, fix the underlying root cause issues. Because what's, what we're all doing right now by having tons of food pantries and tons of shelters is not working. The a lot problem's of getting, right. It's getting worse. Yeah. So, but somewhere we have to do it all. You know, and, and Ed, um, in reading your book, by the way, Ed wrote a wonderful book. It, it talks about the disparity in, in, um, in what people are making and, and wealth. And, um, and I don't remember that being a topic 20 years ago. Um, like it is, like it is today. Um, so, and, and I think a lot of the nonprofits, when we talk about, we do have the collective, we have the uh, the continuum of care, right. which includes a lot of the nonprofits. Um, I, I think that the focus is to try to get better on working together. That uh, because of times have been difficult and grants haven't kept up with with our wages and things like that, and what we should be to keep good staff, um, is that. I think some of the nonprofits go into self-preservation mode and, and say, I, gotta, I can't worry about Dwayne's issue. I got to worry about my issue right now. Um, but I think looking long-term until we start to look at that exactly that way, that's not going to change, right? Well, so I, I think you need to somehow have personnel that are uh, client or uh, uh, focused uh, guess focused, whatever, rather, like you say, rather than their own self-preservation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um, what, what what became of the uh, uh, study that we had Aaron Healy come in just before 
had got on board. Well, uh, that was that, that wrapped up in 2019, 2020, I believe. Uh, I was able to read it. There, there are pieces of it that that are are still being used today. Um, I think that we've we've kind of elected to go back. It's something that's so applicable to yeah. what's going on. I mean, it was very comprehensive. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of work involved in not just doing the study, but in what happens afterwards. And now we're at that st- that stage where we've got to get to work on, on pieces of that plan. So it's still there. Yeah, okay. I was involved in some of those meetings, and I remember the biggest thing that, that I learned throughout that process was the need for, yes, the shelter and a permanent location for Code Blue, but also the importance of the navigation center. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was what I had always, you know, that's like I – I love the work that Shelters of Saratoga does, and I feel like we have like a mini navigation center over on Walworth where you try to do all the things, but there's just not the space or the collaboration at this point. And I think that it's too bad that we haven't been able to find that solution in addition to a permanent code blue location well we're we were pretty close right the, the <laughs> we did get center close. was supposed to be the navigation right. center and essentially the uh the trifecta uh, in saratoga horse terms where uh you know we would have a navigation center the senior would get uh, a new location and the y would benefit from having the seniors right. at the y so unfortunately it it uh it didn't happen <laughs> but I think moving forward that, you know, as Stephanie, our associate ED, who has been on a few of the podcasts, it's still the focus. You know, our focus moving forward is to try to find that spot, right? we got to find the spot first, and we want to try to meet people where they're at. Frankly, we would love to see a place where we have a permanent Code Blue location and navigation center where we have even a spot where some people could camp, um, where they feel safe, and then maybe even... Um, progress them into uh, tiny pod homes or something like that, uh, you know, as they as they move up the ladder into permanent or permanent supportive housing. So that's still a dream of SOS. Uh, we're just still out there looking for that right location. And, you know, going back to that, going back to location, right, um, we could talk about safety. Uh, of course, I know you never know what's going to happen anytime you run any type of a program. And, uh, but I think overall, all of you have been in code blue before I've been at code blue. Um, I think that many of our, the clientele that we serve, the, the, the people that we serve are, are grateful and thankful mm-hmm. and, uh, actually help out a lot of times. Um, I'm sure you've all seen that, uh, Tony, how many days a week are you at Code Blue now? Uh, well, right now I'm only doing it once a month. I've got to do the training get back into gear here. But uh, but I think that that's one thing. My wife volunteers also, and that's she always comes. She's always impressed and comes back with just that how grateful yeah the folks are. <clears throat> Lisa and I drop off pizzas on Sunday nights, and there's always people coming outside to help us unload. Yeah, they help and them, right. Thank you, and yep. and uh, you know they're very appreciative. And I think too you guys have done a great job of making it a safe place. I'm, I remember four or five years ago, the cops were getting called, what, mm-hmm. twice a night, right? For something, some kind of disturbance or, um, and uh, is that yeah. accurate? Yeah. No, I think, yeah. I think it's definitely improved. And I, I think too, that when you talk about the people and you go back to, you had asked earlier about, was there anyone in particular we remembered? And, you know, I remember one woman who has passed away, um, unfortunately but she was so nice and I remember when we first started volunteering I wasn't sure if she was a volunteer or a guest Mm -hmm. Um, and Tony probably knows who I'm talking about and um, you know she was hands-on helpful appreciative Uh, she was a little bit bossy but um, (laughs) I realized that she was actually a guest and um, I helped her with a situation she camped and she had a cat and I helped her out when her cat was sick one time and she actually dropped off at finger paint at the front desk a handwritten thank you note that I still have. Um, and it was just so thoughtful and kind. And when you think about what it took for her to go, I mean, I can run in my office and grab a note and a, and a pen. But when you think she had to go somewhere and get that card and write that note and find a way to get it to me, and it was just, a, it was just so kind. And, how, how did and, she pass away? I don't know if I knew that. Actually, uh, she had went into cardiac arrest out by the train station, oh. and we were out of town. Yeah. But I got a phone call. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, she was a nice lady. She was. She was always right. bringing books, right? Didn't she? Wasn't she a big reader? Uh, that's that was that's a different. Oh, okay. That was the other lady. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. I remember the cat lady. We exchanged books okay. to the other. I remember the other one too that you talked about. But anyway, so it's just you know it's those acts of kindness that you don't necessarily expect. But again, it goes back to the I think and and Ed mentioned it earlier. You know, you don't blame people for having a fear, but a lot of that fear is is that it's uncomfortable. They don't know any better than what they might see or hear through the rumor mill and in any segment of our society there are some bad apples Mm -hmm. right and the bad apples spoil the bunch exactly well we see the humanity uh, from the people we that we serve not just Mm -hmm. from the people that are serving um our our clientele um and you know and yes they they do have pets Mm -hmm. you know they do have companions they do have boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives sometimes. And, and uh, I think currently at Code Blue, I think we have two dogs, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you know, and how can we, you know, and, and right now it's the, that relationship is so important to them. How could we possibly split that up, right? So we're, we're trying our best to accommodate yeah. that and uh, where we're at at, um, at 120 South Broadway. Like the woman you're talking about, she also... Uh, was helping other uh, yes. homeless folks. Mm-hmm. Re- re- outreach, getting yep. them meals, checking in on them. And I think that happens a lot. Again, mm-hmm. they, take they take care of one another. They yeah. And they sometimes fight with one another. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, but, uh, but and, and I think, too, you know. like your point about just thinking a little bit differently, yeah. right? Like Lisa's building this doggy daycare, and she's going to have a, a foster area for um, people that go into rehab because – she learned through the research that a lot of people will not go in and get cleaned up because they're afraid that they're going to lose their pets. Mm. So if she holds it for 60 days, I mean, it's, and to your point, it's just thinking differently with the dogs and not wanting to split them up. And, um, well, and having that safe haven and, you know, at the end of the day, those dogs don't know that they're homeless, right? They know that they're loved and I'm sure that they're loved very much. So if someone says, well, I don't want to go in inpatient to be treated for alcoholism, maybe they would if they knew that their pet would be safe and comfortable and waiting for them when they get out. That's awesome. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh. It's a great idea. I mean, it, it's well, it's not my original idea, but, but it's thinking differently. <laughs> I you know, stole it from other places. That thinking do it. differently, you know. You know, we've got a lot of agencies that are, you know, sometimes we're a little bit siloed, and and I and I'm seeing that one of the problems that sometimes we have is we have trouble getting out of our own way. I, I know that that's my problem sometimes, right? And so, how can when when we we you know, to continue to look forward and to think about tomorrow, sometimes we get so stuck in today. And so I guess I'm asking the group here is how do you see how, you know, the community, the, the politicos, the, the, our other agencies can, can work together better? I think some of it has to be driven by the people that are donating the money because I think that we are in a position where we can encourage collaboration across organizations you know lisa and i get asked by everyone for for donations and i think i just heard ed volunteer to start a task no no. is that what everybody else sat in one place in 10 years um uh, i think a lot of it too has to be on the nonprofits. i think you guys have to figure out a way where you know you start with three or four allies and you broaden the group out and you create this this bond amongst the different organizations that you feel would be good partners. Um, I got to think that Schenectady has politic issues. I got to think they got funding issues. I got to think that they've got board members who are pain in the ass, um, but they figure out a way to, uh, I wasn't looking at you, sweetheart. Um, uh, uh, um, but I think, I think it's, it's, it's gotta be driven by multiple people. That would be my opinion. And again, I don't, I don't have the answers, but you know, it's frustrating when you're on our side, you get asked to help this shelter, this shelter, this uh, substance abuse program, this domestic violence organization, mm-hmm. this rape crisis center, this da 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 and it's, it, it can be numbing. And you want to just throw money at everybody, but you realize that at some point, it's something, to your point, something's got to change. It's yeah. got to, because it, we're not, it's not working. Right. Yeah. Well, you it know? keeps people in silos, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and I think, too, that there's so much that has happened, apparently starting 30 years ago, because it sounds like, you know, it was a challenge back then. But in the last 10 years, which is what I feel we've really been involved since they started Code Blue here in town, um, I think a lot's happened um, between the different agencies without giving a lot of specific examples. I think it, a lot of things have happened between whether it's politics, the not in my backyard, uh, you know, all different things, changes in, in leadership and organizations. There's been bad tastes left in a lot of people's mouths, and I think everybody needs to get over it and clean slate and let's get back to getting down to business. Because I think Tony mentioned earlier, and it's true, at the end of the day, we're all serving the same people and we all want the same thing. So I think sometimes those those egos get kind of, you know, our backs up against the wall, and I know what's best, and you don't. That wasn't directed at you, but it was. No, fun. but I, I think. But that's, I, and I think that's where you have to start. Hey, clean slate. Check your ego at the door, and mm-hmm. let's get to work. We have a lot of very very successful people in this town, and at times that can probably work against us because everybody, including myself, always thinks they're right all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, if you go into Schenectady or Albany or Troy, you've got successful business people, but there's, there's, there's much more of an understanding and a visual representation of the haves and the have-nots. You see it every day. You don't see it here. Everybody looks like they're in the, uh, you know, in the upper 1% for the most part walking down Broadway with the exception of the one or two people you see sleeping under, under a sleeping bag. Um, and it's, I think we have to work on that you know, breaking down those egos. And, and I put myself in that category. Well, you know, we, uh, you know, all of us at SOS too, have kind of had to reflect back on it. Was it wasn't particularly the most pleasant year. 2020, 2023 wasn't right. super great, right? But maybe it's time that, you know, we have to, I can't stop and think, oh, you know, this horrible thing happened, this horrible thing happened. It's time to put it aside and, and just get to work. Um, you know, and I think that, I notice from a lot of the other agencies, including myself, is that we get very protective over our staff and our agency. And sometimes we even have to let our guard down a little bit there and say, listen, we're going to take some risks. We're going to say, listen, we don't have to stand in front. Um, We can take three or four steps back. Uh, It's keep, you know, how can we keep the mission moving forward? Yeah, the other option too is you look at, you know, as a board, you look at strategic mergers. If you say that we need to we need to have a mental health organization at our side. So maybe you go and you combine forces formally, legally. Uh, same thing with, uh, you know, if you need uh, substance abuse, you know, you got to have these people on site ready to go. Maybe that's the way to well, do it. Well, you're talking it. about just a navigation start, center. Right? Yeah, just start yeah, start, exactly. build, start building out all the services that you need, even if it's not geographically all together right away. Yeah. It, it seems like somebody, maybe you, uh, you Dwayne, or needs to call, call a summit, you know, to get... Uh, other agencies got to be feeling the same way. Oh, gosh, I'm sure. And just to get everybody, and just lay it out on the table. Mm-hmm. Who agrees? I mean, this is where yeah. we're at. Let's... Like say clean the slate. Well, I think even in the COC, you know, you have your your monthly meetings and your your biannual meetings where the whole COC is getting together, and you we we may not even realize that we're just doing the same steps over and over and over when when, when it's time to say hold on, yeah. um, let, let's look at this a little differently. I think you have to. Everything's changing, but the one thing that that isn't changing is the problem is not getting better. Mm-hmm. So I think it's time to to think differently about how we approach everything from from fundraising as an organization to how are we going to tackle this because we need a new location for Code Blue next year. Yeah. <clears throat> Under the uh, new administration in the city, um, is it feasible that somebody would outside of the agencies would call together a meeting to, just to that point well, I've, I've had meeting. a couple of meetings with uh, the you know the people that are beco- going to be coming in and they seem to be interested in and um, they recognize past mistakes uh, that were made in the community they I think that they want to move forward and they want to address the address the issues and I think they're they're definitely interested in talking to the people who work uh, work in the field, which I think is going to be very mm-hmm. beneficial. Well, it's a clean slate, right? Yep. A, right. It's a nice opportunity. Opportunity. Yeah. When uh, when Code Blue started, 
10 years ago. It, it really was, before it went, came to SOS, it was managed by a uh, uh, coalition of, dif of the different agencies. Mm -hmm. uh, the SS, you know, domestic violence, ca Catholic charities, and uh, and they were working together to get um, to yeah, get the uh, and the city. I've even seen the the changes in how uh, Code Blue is required to be managed. You know, by the state now. You know, it's become much more of a specific line item, and it has right. to be done. And this is what you have to do. And and there's not a, a lot of freedom. I think mm -hmm. the freedom that we do have is, is afforded to us by the county, that they're flexible in some of the things that we can do. And like I think you said earlier, you know, you don't have to serve a meal. We think that that's an absolute, it must happen. Um, you actually don't have to have a bed or a cot. Oh, really? And we see that as an absolute. Um, those things have to happen. So um, I think in, in winding things up here, um, I want to thank... Uh, I want to thank Ed and, and Lisa Mitson and, and Tony Mangano. I appreciate you guys coming. Any closing thoughts that you might have uh, as we wrap things up today? It's cold out. Good luck this winter. <laughs> thank you. Uh, it always amazed me that at, at 32 degrees or under, it's you know you have to be open, but at 34 and six inches of snow, you don't. Right. When it uh, when it's for code blue first started, it was 10 degrees. Yeah. You had to get down to 10 before. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> So, well, thank, thank you, you everyone. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crossroads. We covered a lot of ground, but I think there's value in understanding where we started 30 years ago and how all the efforts to address the many challenges of homelessness have evolved. We can use that perspective to be smart in how we move forward. Many thanks to Tony Mangano, who helped start Shelters of Saratoga and Code Blue, and to Lisa and Ed Mitson for their extraordinary support of Shelters of Saratoga, Code Blue, and so many other deserving individuals and organizations. Crossroads is produced by Shelters of Saratoga, a nonprofit human services agency serving the greater Saratoga area. Our mission is to transform the lives of our neighbors facing homelessness with support services, safe shelter, and a path to independence. Your support keeps our mission alive. Find out more about how you can help at sheltersofsaratoga.org.